We're back, season five, episode 12 of the Sopranos podcast, Another Suitcase. That's the guy, Adriana, my Uncle Tony, the guy I'm going to hell for. That's a quote from Chris Moltisanti in this season five, episode 12 of The Sopranos, entitled Long-Term Parking. This episode was written by Terrence Winter and directed by Tim Van Patten. Uh, best Sopranos episode ever? Possibility? It's in the conversation, right? Am I, am I Obats? Nope. In the conversation, yeah. Has to be, Probably. Best, maybe not my favorite. No, oh, no, it's nobody's. Fa- By the way, we have Lily here. Hi. We're gonna go there. I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Lily D'Amato. I'm Paul Mancini, and I'm Jordan Hugh. And we're here to break down the fifth penultimate episode of the series. And fourth season broke the format a little bit in that it all kind of crescendoed in the finale. And I'm sure we're in for a great finale here too. But this brought back the really just boning you, for lack of. <laughs> For lack of articulate phrasing. Very good. Uh, in the uh, penultimate episode. And this episode won Michael Imperioli and uh, Drea DiMatteo Emmys. I don't put much stock in award shows, but they got this one right. This is so well acted. A story so well told. Yeah, what, what, a, what a payoff to years of storytelling. When you have episodes that are quote-unquote slower of a TV show and then you have a payoff like this, that's why you have slower episodes because sometimes you're just laying it out nice. You're, you're, you're rolling out your dough, you're putting it in the oven, and then it comes out an explosive drama pizza. <laughs> there are so many steps to making bread. That's what I'm saying. Well, there's so many steps to... You just to, rolled to, it out to, to, put it in the oven. Well, yeah, and, uh, I didn't even pizza talk about... pizza makes me sad. Well, you make the tomato sauce, you got it's the garlic. It's a sad pizza. Ch- yeah, it's a sad pizza. This is a very sad pizza. Thoughts on long-term parking? Let's go around initial impressions upon end of uh, credits here. Uh, I guess I'll swing big when I say that I think the stakes in The Sopranos, the series, is, hey... Can these guys be redeemed at all, right? Uh, and you're, of course, focusing that question on Tony, and to a lesser extent, Christopher. That's not to say the other characters aren't important or aren't involved, but the question is really laid before them especially, right? Hey, there's this guy. He is a family man in both senses of the word. Can he uh, turn himself around? Can he become good? Can he recognize the error of his ways? Uh, similarly, Christopher, who has other passions, has other ideas about what his life could be like. Can he course correct? And basically, until this episode, there's like a little carrot dangle of like, maybe, maybe they can turn this around. Maybe Tony will find another life, can find something to do, can be saved either through therapy or through his own realizations. Uh, Maybe Christopher will go off and do something else. After this episode, this is officially the crossing of the Rubicon. This is, they are now fully irredeemable. Mm. So if you go on beyond this episode, it is the feeling of like, okay, well, that question is answered. I'm now just watching a show about bad people and that you have to kind of just make peace with that, right? Uh, you know, there's still... So this is a point of no return for you. For me? When the series starts, Tony is seeing a therapist... And, of course, the natural question, can she help him? Can he be helped? For you, at this point, that answer is... It's answered for me now in this episode. And I think that's, uh, that's, look, the 
ultimately the resonance of the episode is that we lose Adriana and how we lose her is so horrible. But in the greater aspect of the the series, it's like that questioner for me is now answered. It's like, okay, no, there's, there's, there's no saving these guys at all. This is, this is it. Yes. So that happened. (laughs) Yeah. I guess my first thought is where am I? My second thought is which one of you assholes shit in my pants? Because this episode is, um, it's still a gut punch. I've seen it before, and uh, I adore it. It's very well done. It's it's not pleasant to watch at times. And I think there's something to the question of the characters possibly being redeemed. And I think also the decisions that are made about loyalty, about who you're with, what your long-term parking is, I guess, uh, are these lifelong questions with lifelong implications. The, Adriana makes this one choice, the two important choices in the episode are Chris's and Carmela's, respectively uh, siding with Tony and moving back in with Tony. And in the latter of the two, we're looking at, uh, in part, the benefits of this life. Chris's choice underlines the cost. So I think that might be another reason that it's such a great Sopranos episode because it is all these different elements coming together and really showing you the negative and the positive, the two sides, the two sides of the same coin, and how these characters, if they can, live with that. Yeah, this is an episode I typically avoid after the first time I watched it a few years ago. Um, But it always makes me, I can't ever shake the way I felt the first time I watched it, which was, so I'm definitely a romantic comedy kind of person. I just, like, if Nora (laughs) Ephron wrote it or directed it, I'm in, you know, I'm that kind of, I just, that's some of the media I enjoy. And I just, they got me. I was totally, completely duped. I did not see it coming. When Syl shows up, I was like, okay. This, this is legit. Christopher, you know, I just, I was along for the ride. And it's very, it, it's rare that I end up that present in something that I'm not thinking what might happen next. I was literally just minute to minute, which is a testament to just how good it is. Um, but I, I thought it was, I, I thought that they were going to get away. There was something in me that just wanted it so badly. But what was interesting was this watch around, and I don't remember the last time I watched this particular episode I don't know how I didn't see it coming but you know hindsight's 2020 and all that just thought that was interesting of like I saw it in her that she knew I saw I it couldn't have been more clear so it was just it's just interesting how and I know I feel like I say this every time I'm on the podcast but like how different things change when you watch them at different points in your life oh sure yeah you know well be kind to yourself because it duped me the first time I ever watched it too I don't know where you guys were on I think it duped a lot of people yeah yeah I I realized it before Adriana did but definitely after Silvio picks her up I mean I didn't it it dawned that I remember the first time I was watching it and it dawned on me that she was definitely dead I looked at the surroundings. I'm like, there are very populous parts of New Jersey. He's driving the other way. They're surrounded by woods. They're not going to no hospital. Yeah, part of the really good sell is that when Tony calls her to say that Chris has tried to kill himself, it's actually like very well acted. Like mm-hmm. he, he's not like giving it away like at all. Yeah, the character Tony the Soprano character Tony Soprano is a, a great actor. actor. Yeah, yeah, so you're like, oh, okay, because conceivably that could absolutely be what happened. 
you yeah. know? Uh, especially yeah. with that really brilliant scene at the gas station, which I want to talk about. But No, sure. Uh, yeah, the, they just built this so well. And the steps the episode takes to reach its apex, it's just well told. It unfolds like a mystery, what happened at the crazy horse, and then Adriana's just in this. It's all of these various pressure points just come together for this one moment and it explodes in such glorious tragic fashion and the fact uh, uh, of all people to send silvio to do this just great we'll talk about all of it well uh, the perfect choice but yeah we'll, oh we'll of course right. yeah yeah anyone else shows yeah, up Polly shows house. up she knows correct yep. it has to be someone who is that yeah, yeah. and they say it in Goodfellas, your killers show up as your friends, uh, the ones yeah. you, you trust the most. So, yeah, and, and what, what a cool, cool, quote-unquote, what a sad and effective blending of stories we have here where Tony's house is kind of coming back together and Tony's home is being built. And we'll talk about the significance of the location of the final scene in the episode, I, and at least as far as my opinion is concerned, why they chose to end the episode there. But the fact that his family's coming back together and Chris's is being irrevocably destroyed, just, it's it's very, it's, it's great tragic storytelling. I really, uh, really enjoyed it. But oof, it's rough. It's rough. Amazing that the Blundetto plot is the C plot. Really amazing. Right? Yes. I mean, structurally speaking, TV speaking. Yeah, isn't that something? Yeah. If you watched last week, then the Blundetto thing is the key piece of the plot that's happening. So the first surprise in this episode is which storylines are there to surprise you. Because A is Adriana, B is Tony and Carmela getting back together, and C is this Blundetto thread that we just touched down on a couple times. It's a distant C. Yeah. And by the way, those scenes fucking slap, too, to use yep. the modern lingo. Uh, <laughs> those scenes with Johnny are great. Especially, I, I love the scene with them under the bridge uh, where we just see John in his full smug. Is that the GW? Yeah, I yeah, believe so. so. The or, or no, wait, no, they they meet under the Brooklyn Bridge, actually. Oh, okay. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh why? What was the? Uh, was there some? Oh, I just thought if it was the GW, it would be literally the bridge from New York to New Jersey, which I thought would have uh, been, you know, symbolically cool. But it I mean, might be the GW. No, because they do meet in Jersey. I don't know. That's why he says this is the last time we're going to meet like this. Okay. It's, uh, yeah. It just yeah. it was cool. No, for that's that reason. That is cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very good. So, we start things off with the crazy horse, and there so we see that she's under surveillance and right we start off things off at the uh, FBI yeah. office. Yes. Which is different right off the bat. Mm -hmm. Other than, like, Mr. Ruggiero's Neighborhood, I don't remember an episode that starts with them, and they play a huge role in this episode. The right. moves that they make are very important. Yeah, and this and Mr. Ruggiero's Neighborhood are basically sister episodes. They're very much alike. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, Wait a minute. No, no. But yeah, so uh, they, they have the place under surveillance, and Adriana's doing something suspicious. She takes something out of the garbage. What's going on there? And then the, uh, what is it, ulcerative colitis. Good to see Aid's mom back. I, I always, this woman, she doesn't have very many lines when she, but how spot on is Adriana's mom? Oh, she's perfect. Yeah, I, I, I always want more of her when I see her, which means it's just the right amount. So funny. Yeah, yeah. She's planning a wedding, for Christ's sake. <laughs> the Jerry Lewis moon face line really got yeah, yeah. good. It's <laughs> Jerry very Lewis. funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she's, I mean, let's, 
doesn't take a genius to figure this out. She's rotting from the inside, just yes. like this entire situation is rotting the family out from the inside. Uh, and it's uh, bad news, bad news. Tony's back at home fixing the TV. So let's talk about this. As Tony and Carmela seem amicable here, Tony's fixing a, a setting. AJ and his friends came over. What is the... Uh, we see it throughout the rest of the episode that Carmela has softened a little bit. With the last time they were really tense, we had the scene last episode or two episodes ago over the pool, that very tense shot of inside the pool where you're like, oh my God, this is a very threatening. Tony had corrupted all the lawyers. Carmela was just worn out, fed up, sickened by the whole thing. And there is a softening of Carmela here. I think the reasoning becomes apparent as this episode and perhaps next episode play out but what do we think of this shift here between tony and carmella where they're entertaining by proxy they're giving theoreticals here oh if that that would never happen again and any marriage would they're, they're kind of talking around it but talking about possibly getting back together this episode is in large part about negotiation mm. and a lot of scenes have a negotiating quality and i think a lot of this early portion is carmella resetting mm. a format yeah. for a negotiation that she will nail mm-hmm. this time around. You remember the first one did not go well No, at Vesuvio a couple episodes ago. So I, I love all those aspects and how they seem to talk around all these issues. But they are getting at something. It's not an accident that Tony's fixing something mechanical yeah. that AJ fucked up because we've been dealing with the it's nice to have a man around the house dynamic since the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really simple setup. And like a couple of the other early scenes, these are really fast. Mm-hmm. They're really fast and they're moving the episode along. This episode's not short. It's 55 minutes. It flies, though. It flies by because of how intense it is and because of some of these short beats. Some of the scenes are 30 seconds long. Some of them are 10 seconds long. And they move really good i would only contribute that carmela seems to be test driving a decision that she's already made mm. uh it seems to be at least the read on the scene for me is that she's already decided she's going to get back with tony i think the tragedy the sad part is that he's really left her no other choice right the other choice would be to have a long drawn out battle with this man not get back together and come away with probably nothing uh so i think as paul puts it it's a you know it's negotiating well if we're getting back together how much can i get out of it Right. right, let me start to feel around those edges. Yeah, she knows she can't get out. Isn't that the whole moral of this episode is you can't get out. They're in You're too right. deep. You're and right. so he's beating beaten her into submission. She has tested the waters, right? And there's no getting out. And so she may as she might as well, right? This isn't working, them not living together. They're, it's nice to have a man around the house. Sure. Yeah. But my point in this whole situation is that Carmela is also no dummy. I don't want to call it, out of respect for the dead, I don't want to call Adriana a dummy, but Carmela is sharper than Adriana, for sure. And I think oh, what she's doing here, certainly. while she's absolutely been outfoxed by Tony in this divorce situation, and while she's absolutely still trapped, there's a certain admirable quality to the idea of, okay, she's assessing her situation. Worst case scenario, and a very likely scenario, he ends up dead or in prison, or we split up down the road. This time, I'm setting up something for me. Yes. And she's, that's what the spec house is she's about. She's fortifying. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's smart. That's the best, given how awful the situation is, that's the best way forward for her. Right. 
And think, sorry, go ahead. No, uh, Adriana has none of that guile, right? So right. it is nice to see the contrast. That was, that was it. Um, right. A- Adriana has none of that guile and is unlucky as well. She has she lets a guy use her photocopier and gets fucked over, um, <laughs> whereas Carmela pushed into this um, dynamic over time and circumstance as, and some personal choices, as Lily points out, finds these ways to operate. Not only smart in what she's asking for, but we'll get to this later. I think very smart in the way that she asks for it at that lunch. We'll get there. Yeah, yeah. Right. Some great acting in this scene. I like that. Tony's like, you know, I'm just saying what it, he, he admits he knows what he did was wrong, though he's full of shit. He's saying what he needs to say. His, the test stream kind of guided him in this direction. I am what I am. I didn't marry a cartoon. How good is this moment? Very brief. When Tony says, you know, you had your own indiscretions yourself, and Carmela just freezes and looks and waits for him to say the next thing. Furio. And then she, can, she, then she has the deniability. But there was a brief moment. You see in her eyes, did he hear about Wiggler? What is he? <laughs> Very good. She saved his life by not speaking first. Yes, exactly. Very <laughs> smart. Carmela's very smart, despite the fact that Tony won this round. Uh, she's set to win the war. I think it's very cool. That stuff will never happen again. Then we go to Phil Leotardo, and we see a little bit flashes. It's hazy, kind of... Dipping into his uh, memory of the event where his brother Bill was killed by Tony B. We don't get a ton of this. It doesn't play out in full narrative fashion, but we certainly get enough. And again, Tony B. Walking up, no fucking qualm. Just boom, boom, boom. Just shooting at both of them. He really is a nasty fuck, by the way. Tony B? Yeah, I'm not saying these guys didn't have it coming, but he really will just shoot you in the face. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. True, true. That's... Tony B's defining quality is there is a very low-key darkness under there, underneath the Jackie Gleason and the the massage shit, as Tony puts it. There's that there's a very dark place in Tony B that we get glimpses of. It makes him fascinating, but it's also his undoing. Yeah, I, I thought about it a lot. It's actually most similar to Tony S. Yeah. That's the same thing, right? He's very charismatic and likable and you never suspect him of that and then when he has to kill somebody it's just like yep just flips the switch and does it but one went away and one didn't yes but i think they have that in common the Mm. other the only difference is i don't think tony s can surprise you because of his temper whereas um, oh you mean because he'll get angry first yeah it, it you know it's pretty predictable what will set him off he has his moments where it'll be random because something else happened but you know tony ha- tony soprano has a has a temper and so you kind of know how to be around him mm. if tony b is as charming and wonderful and smart as he is, he doesn't show the darkness almost mm. ever, Mr. which makes him scarier to me than Tony Soprano. Mr. Sure. Kim never saw that coming. Oh, no. <laughs> no, for sure not. Yeah. Um, I can't believe Mr. Kim Scary lived. in a different way, I should say. Yeah. These images that come to Phil about his brother being killed are similar to the images that come to Tony later about Tony B and hanging out with him on Uncle Pat's farm. There's a sentiment there that's a big issue with Tony... Um, the two Tonys, guilt, shame, um, the sentiment of uh, their years of friendship. And it has to be complicated to make it worse for our Tony, Tony S, that part of what undoes Tony B 
is his own sense of duty and friendship. It wasn't like I fucked this guy over or did something wrong in terms of like robbing somebody. It was personal. Yeah. It was like they killed my buddy. Um, I think that makes it even more painful. Well said. We are introduced to the Carmine Brain Trust once again, and Carmine is having second thoughts. It's gotten way out of hand. Phil's a captain. We now have upper management getting killed over this. This isn't some girl you used to fuck. This isn't, you know, Johnny Sack's lackey. This This is now, seriously, he's in the war. And again, I hate to... <laughs> I hate to keep going back to this, but we've established at several points that there's some dual, there's some parallel between what was going on at the time with Iraq and George W. and this whole situation in the show. It's not a direct one to one, but you have to wonder if there was a moment where George W. thought to himself shortly after the war began, "We're in a fucking stagmire." <laughs> yeah, so, my right. phone didn't even let me type Stagmire. <laughs> yeah. What a line. Again, a perfect malaprop. Delivered so sincerely, staring at that fire. We're in a Stagmire. That's great. Uh, Frankie Valley, the, the power behind the Carmine Trust. All due respect, Carmine. That's why you got to get out there. That's not how I want to handle it. And Carmine uh, and, and Rusty looks back, realizing at this point, perhaps wisely, that he's on the losing side of this battle. Yeah. And uh, Carmine is rethinking this. Perhaps Carmine is stupid, but not unwise. We'll see. We're at the crazy horse in the back. That blue-eyed prick fucked me over. Everyone's uh, gathering here. They're gonna. They're dressed up nice. We find out they're heading into New York to meet with Johnny. Chris comes in, gives the. This is this is this is almost as meta as the test stream. Gives a Bruce Springsteen lyric, with Stevie Van Zant as Silvio sitting right there who plays in the E Street Band. <laughs> Highways Jam with Broken Heroes on a Last Chance Power Drive. Oh, so now you're getting cute with me. The track that that's from is called Born to Run. Hmm. Mm. We should talk more about that lyric a little later in the episode, too. Mm. Tony B, still on the milk carton. Great line. <laughs> Silvio is just cranking him out here. Uh, my smelly Valentine. That's that's hilarious. Ugh. Yeah. Christopher. Mean. <laughs> it's mean. It's mean. I think uh, she has bigger problems coming up very soon, but... Uh, you gotta replace her colon with a semicolon. <laughs> you know, funny. if Chris could channel this humor into his writing, he might have he might be able to do something. Well, he could write those memoirs finally. Yeah. <laughs> She's got the whole world at her feet. She walks around like impending doom. It's yep. Another AA thing. Speaking of memoirs, how old do we think those two characters are again, Christopher and Adriana? I'm assuming they're not so, the same age as the actors. It's never exactly set out. Are they mid twenties, late twenties? To they're, me, they're not thirty. You don't think so? I don't think so. To me, they read early thirty. You think that Absolutely, late? Absolutely, the early thirty. Yeah, to me, so? they re- yeah. to me they read early thirty. Okay. That yeah. that that's actually their real age, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, what's funny? That's how they look yeah. to me. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. In actuality, Michael Imperioli is only, I think, four or, or four to six years younger than Gandolfini, but he looks younger. Right. Uh, if we are to believe, I know I shouldn't bring it up, if we are to believe Many Saints of Newark timeline, 
Tony is somewhere between 16 and 18 years older than Chris. Do not get me started on that movie. But age I stuff, think, it makes no sense. But yes, I was just about to say, I think that movie played with the ages of the characters, because yeah, otherwise it wouldn't make sense. stupid as shit, yeah. I, uh, I'm gonna do what I, uh, I do with my wife a lot of the time with that movie, and just pretend it, it doesn't exist. Alright, I'm sorry I brought it up. Yeah. Uh, hi, uh, hi, Lily. <laughs> Hello, dear. <laughs> we get so much shit from you people. I'm talking to you listeners, by the way, for not having Lily on more. Well, here she uh, is. Here she is. Listen, I'd have her on every episode. You don't know me. I'd have her on every time. Tell them how busy you are. Tell them. Tell the people out of your own mouth. I'm busy. She's busy, folks. We have, we, But here, here she is, so we're going to enjoy her. Uh, room full of guys making fun of my wife. All right. uh, it's just you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a room full of guy. Leave me alone. Uh, well, that's, Sil- the, that's the plurable. <laughs> <laughs> Silvio suggests veganism. Uh, I I don't know that I knew much about veganism before 2004. When did that start taking off? I don't know. I, I think before that. Yeah. Was it? Tony corners Adriana. People got their health. They take it for granted. My wife and I are getting back together. Of course, this has to evoke not the first time we're going to... This, I, I was joking about Mr. Ruggiero's Neighborhood earlier, but this episode is a direct sequel to a regular Around the Margins. I mean, yes. this, this right. follows a very clear yeah. trajectory, and, and they're deliberately evoking the imagery, the place where that line was almost crossed. Tony telling her, hey, getting back together, we'll have you over the house. Put that behind us. They get to New York, and Phil is, this is, this to me is, we've had some fun dealings with Phil so far, but this is Phil Leotardo. We're finally really introduced to this character here, his bitterness, his, his mentality. They come in, sorry for your loss, we all are. Take your sorries and stick them in your ass. <laughs> Frank Vincent, just absolutely killing it with the cane. You ever have someone die in your arms, you cocksucker? A family member, somebody you love? Give it time. See if I can't make that happen for you. Very ominous words. Silvio with the whoa, whoa, whoa. Is that necessary? Johnny finally steps in and tells Phil, Phil, he's right. Fuck him, John. Fuck all of them. Walks out. And then Tony and Johnny have to hash this out. And Johnny is not the colloquial, friendly, ally, pragmatic problem solver that we have been led to know of him or expect from him he tells tony as respectfully and bluntly as possible that you either deliver that prick that prick being tony b to my door or i will rain a shitstorm down on you and your family like you have never fucking seen we're done here and we are yeah uh, more shitstorm talk uh yeah johnny's in the catbird seat he's not negotiating because he doesn't have to Mm-hmm. Um, Tony and Silvio and Chris came in. I'm not sure exactly what they were expecting. Yeah. If they were expecting any wiggle room at all, that yeah. got dashed right away. Even Johnny gave Chris a failed threat. Fine, one of your other relatives then. Yeah. Oof. And Johnny is typically more cautious. Again, if he's not being cautious, it seems as though, he, again, he doesn't have to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys didn't understand... You guys are misunderstanding this, right? Like, you came in thinking we're negotiating. The negotiation is you give this guy up or else. Mm. In effect, um, take as a parallel how later Carmela knows exactly 
what and how she is negotiating with Tony at Vesuvio at lunch and how much better that scene goes. So yeah, and again, another pretty short scene really gets the point across. Great scene though. This yeah. is this is this is the kind of for those who like the really juicy gangster stuff, this is this is what you're waiting for. This stuff. I love scenes like this. I love any of these meetings generally in, in this bar in New York with the New York family, these scenes are always great. I agree. Um, at first, I really was like, wow, John, what a prick. But then I was like, well, we have built directly on the Joey Peeps thing that he's still not over, right? So he needs to... He basically needs to count this as a victory mm. just to save face on both. Right. Right? He can't have Tony have his way on both these things, yes. right? Of, of just kind of sort of getting away no. with Joey Peeps and now also Bill the Atari. And we're also not officially out of the little Carmine thing. The worst thing Johnny can do is lose Phil to little Carmine. The Leotardo brothers right. were, we were led to believe, like the muscle behind Johnny's yeah, they operation. Are. Right. So no, for, if he doesn't back up Phil 100% on this, Phil can go to Little Carmine, Phil can stage a coup. Who the fuck knows what Phil's capable of? So I, it sucks because we right, like... this is the last moment that Johnny's position is vulnerable. Right. right. Yeah. It, it sucks because we like Johnny Sack, right? We've been following... We do. Uh, but it's but, been a different Johnny Sack until this point. Yes. Yeah. He he has to take this position. Yeah, the point of view is just, like, if if this were the Sacks, like, Johnny is totally in the right here, yes. right? Like, he's doing absolutely the right thing. We just are Team Jersey. Right. right. So, I mean, yeah, Sopranos are just wrong, and or Jersey's just wrong, and New York is right here, but... Yeah. Oh, of course. You know? Yeah. And we're not quite used to... We're used to Tony being politic with New York or making that attempt. We're not used to New York being this straight-up antagonistic, and they're not mm. ready for it. Yeah. Well said. Speaking of good writing, this next scene is... I want to give credit to the writers. Uh, if I were a 12-year-old uh, out for Sea Scouts and <laughs> my instructor referred to something as a knob whelk, I would also say that's what I call my dick. And that that was the exact joke I would make, probably even as an adult. So, uh, <laughs> good writing there. And then uh, then they cut, they stumble on the dead body. As of now, this is a mystery. What is this? We're, oh, we're getting, shit! Yeah, we're getting all these little pieces of something going on. Really fast. But, it, yeah, that's, this fast is a quick quality, touchdown yeah. and a great scene. Very effective. They made the body really grotesque, so yeah, you... Really remember it. Like, what is this? Artie Bucco schmoozing. Grandma, pretty soon, Grandma, Grandpa. Hey. <laughs> this is the scene that Tony wanted the first time they met at Vesuvio, right? This is... <laughs> uh, the whole butter wouldn't melt in your mouth spiel was not how Tony saw it going down. But this is more... You know, what you said to me really hit home with, my, you know, with your feelings and all. Uh, and he very much misreads. You want another kid? <laughs> Carmela's like very quick on that. Oh no no no, no no no. But she 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 lays it out the business. She wants a down payment on a spec house. She wants to go in it with her dad. I can't say enough that I I think I laughed, but it was not because I thought it was funny. I just thought like, what is the price of your soul? You have an exact number, and it's a number you think he'll agree to without much of a you know mm. six hundred thousand. Okay. Mm. Yep. That's it. That's the number. Yeah. It's it's purely business. Yep. Yep. And then I'll move back in. AJ refers to the situation in the next scene as fucking weird, but it the fucking weird is already in full full crank. Uh what what is amazing about this next moment is 
He says, I'll move back in. What about those other issues? I promise that my midlife crisis problems will no longer intrude on you anymore. The wording is very careful there. Right. He does not say that I'm going to stop fucking other women. No, it will no longer Basically, he says, yeah, he says, I'll be much better about hiding it. Yeah. Right? No more acrylic nails on the nightstand is basically what he means. To be fair, that's all she asked for. Well, and that's what I was, that's my, my. That is true. This is also. faithful, be discreet. Right. This is my interpretation of the, the acting. This is up for debate because it's not spelled out explicitly. But Carmela understands that term, those terms. I don't think she's under the impression Tony is saying, I won't fuck other women. It's that you have your thing, I have my thing, and never the twain shall meet. Yeah. Mm. Correct. Stay away from the spec house, keep the women out of my face, and on we go, this thing of ours. Yep. The business, like, the business fashion in which she her language approaches it allows Tony to speak of it in these very indirect terms. So it's very interesting that they're saying it but not saying it. Right. Um, and yeah, I think she played it beautifully. As Jordan said, she knows this figure and didn't she didn't fumble on it. She didn't look at him needily when she said it. All those things would have been things Tony could pounce on. She gives the number. Tony looks at her for a second. She's eyeing the food. She's continuing talking. Cool as a cucumber. Great negotiation, Carmela. You nailed it. Yeah, a moment I found similar to this was way back in four. Uh, you know, Janice. Uh, you know, Tony's trying to get some information about Ralph Cifaretto and his uh, <laughs> his sexual activities, his proclivities. And Janice asks him for three thousand dollars. <laughs> and you know, we I think in the dialogue it's how'd you come by that number? I thought you'd say yes. Yeah. And that's the six hundred thousand, right? Yep. She's weighing the situation here. Uh, and in a, in a similar way, right? He's a wealthy man. How much can I get out of him regarding this situation? She's yeah. right. They're both right. Can I offer something? Because yeah. I think it I think that it may help our cover not help, but enlighten our conversation later too. Is there a world where Carmela continues to pursue the divorce and ends up with nothing and has to get a job and, you know, actually make her way. Does she actually ever get out, though? Like, will Tony always... Tony will always bother her. They have their kids. She, can she Can she get out if she really worked at it? Good question. He's always in her life because right. of the kids, right? I out? think so. Well, it depends on what you mean by out. I do. Th- I don't think. Would Tony... he ever stop bugging her? I don't know. I don't think Tony would ever kill her. I don't think he. I think he would always take her back. But I also think that there is a pod. There is an alternate universe where she proceeds to divorce, ends up living in a one bedroom condo somewhere, for a little while while she works on her real estate career, and that's a slow grind. And she meets some yuppie guy or something. I, I think it's possible. Okay. I don't think Tony would ever harm her. That wasn't where I was going. No, but I mean... More like mess with her. Well, mess with her. That's... that's like, can yeah, she, like, can she get out of the life? Is there, is there uh, a road so, for her? No, I don't think so. In Boardwalk Empire, which is kind of the spiritual successor to this show, Margaret leaves Nucky and pursues a career of her own, and then the show skips forward a number of years, and you find out the entire time that she pursued an individual career, she was still in Nucky's sphere of influence. She just didn't realize it. I think Tony would set up something similar, where it's just like... He allows a, an illusion to persist that she's out making her own connections, having her own business interests, something, whatever, but then would find out at the end that actually he's the primary investor or something. Because I, I don't think, 
I don't think he would let her go even if she thought that's what she was doing. Mm. Maybe, in other words, she could break away from him, but he can't her. So I think he expands his influence to still be a part of her no matter what. Yeah, I agree with you. And I bring this up because there there are people I've spoken to about the show who would condemn people like Carmela and Adriana. And I just, I can't get over the idea that, like, you made a decision in your early 20s to be with this person. And at what point do you just say, like, I see the writing on the wall. There is no actually getting out. I might as well get what I can out of this yeah. relationship and this life, right? Mm-hmm. Like, to me, that's my interpretation of her getting back with him. Is just, there's no actual way out, so I might as well just do my thing. Please don't, you know, get acrylic nails on my pillow again <laughs> yeah is it uh Macbeth or hamlet i don't remember i'm already steeped in blood so far that i might as well just keep going rather way rather than than Macbeth. turn back the way yeah. Macbeth. Macbeth. yeah uh yeah i'm just already halfway in the just keep going i'm already just just get what you can yeah. <laughs> while you're already in the mess yeah. i mean none of these characters are like morally impressive to me yeah like it's all it's all a question of compromise but yeah i mean i do i feel for all of them in a way but yeah, I mean, like, the, the way that step-by-step Carmel has been brought to this place, I mean, it makes sense to me. And maximizing what's good. Even later in this episode, when we were reminded that Tony and Carmela in good moments have, among other things, a sexual connection. Right. They still like each other mm. and all that stuff. It's like, um, so I think I get it. But yeah. it's, um, But it's a tough episode in that regard, too, because at... Particularly at the end, I'm wrestling with, I think when they're looking at that land out in the woods, Carmela says the price was good. And I'm like, that was the price. What's the cost? Mm. You know? Yep. Next scene is Chris and Adriana showing up at the restaurant. Tony pulls Chris into the the gentleman's room. And I want to note that Chris has a glass of wine. He was drinking a beer in the last scene. He's drinking heavier and heavier as the scene goes, scenes go on. He's drinking every scene he's in yeah. until the shit really hits the fan. Yeah. So there's your wagon over there. You're off of it. The cigarette operation, there's been a screw-up. Some bodega in Newark's been selling cigarettes without the tax stamps. They argue about it. It ends up with... Uh, Tony not knowing what to do about Tony B. When Chris asks and Tony drops the bomb that Paulie supervises the cigarette run, you're splitting everything. Chris is very upset by that news. I got a wedding to pay for. And Tony says, if I were you, I'd cut out the open bar. Yikes. Ouch. That's a low blow. And climbs out of the bathroom. Chris throws the wine. We replace the glass of wine for a full bottle of vodka. Fuck family, fuck loyalty, cost you a dime, you're a fucking pariah. I love Chris acting in this scene. I think he's really just going for it. This is like years of frustration. I bet uh, AIDS heard similar rants to this before, but it feels like it's ramping up. And uh, Chris is definitely drunk. You're better. She says, this is going to come back again and again and again in her last hour on this show. You're a better man than he is, a better person. No judge of character. Tony B could get us all killed in New York, and you don't need. He needs to think about what to do with him. Well, maybe I need to think. You ever thought of that, you fat fucking scumbag? He said, "Sorry, <laughs> I could take him out in a second too." That fat fuck, bang! His kids wouldn't even give a shit. And then he plops down at the end of this release 
Chris should be in therapy, but he ran out of the room the first time it was ever brought <laughs> up to him. And he says, that's the guy, Adriana, that's the guy I'm going to hell for. My Uncle Tony, the guy I'm going to hell for. Great scene, great little lead up to what's coming. Back to the FBI headquarters, they're watching as the Long Branch detectives go into the crazy horse. Okay, call Long Branch, what's happening here? They're, they're no longer like, oh, this is weird. It's like something's going on, what's happening? Call them up. So this is all building. Tony visits Valentina. <laughs> yeah, nice little touchdown here. Short hair, like uh, like that actress. <laughs> Great, yeah, that actress. Yeah, he basically pulls up the chair. So obviously the medical bills are paid for, and she knows where this is going. <laughs> oh, motherfucker, am I so horrible now? Uh, he, he says, uh, "There was no future with us. That's why I didn't want you hitching your wagon to my star." <laughs> what a fucking horrible way to phrase it. Like, couldn't come up with anything better. <laughs> Another of Tony's exes threatening to kill herself. His phone rings. I came here to... Uh. He, he hasn't... <laughs> he hasn't become softer over time with that. Like, the first girlfriend tried to kill herself, like, season two, and he was really feeling it for her. Here she says, I'm gonna fucking kill myself. And Tony says, I gotta take this. <laughs> <laughs> Just, like, picks up the phone. He's at it. I came here to pick you up and end it like a gentleman. <laughs> She's sobbing. But, uh... This is one of those unfortunate things. To be to be entirely fair to Tony when he doesn't often deserve it, he was going to break up with her before this happened. Uh, just what a terrible... Right, but now it seems so much worse. <laughs> <laughs> but, yep, I think we're, uh, we're done with Valentina. Nice run, thank you. <laughs> Until the next one. <laughs> <laughs> Tony B is calling. Is that you? Just say something. I know you're there. Hangs up. Tony, as a matter of moving the plot forward and trying to figure out where Tony is, calls up Syl, who is fucking... Anything Syl is doing at any given time, the business he's given is so fucking funny. So great, right? Yeah, yeah. Every, he's, he's like cleaning something off of his shirt with a tooth... His jacket with a toothbrush... Bing! That angle they have, they have them at. They yeah. really know how to shoot Silvio. They really do. <laughs> like the most natural thing in the world, just him cleaning himself. Oh, Gerard! Yeah, I'll get him. I was yeah. like, this is fucking great, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I appreciate that. They're always giving Sil some funny business. He's always working on something, doing something. It's good. But yeah, they're gonna tap the phone so that Tony can get a trap on the line, and the feds swoop in. They scoop up aid. Here we go. I was just picking up my medicine. And Tony comes home. Gifts Carmella. It's weird to see him back here. Gives her a Hermes. <laughs> <laughs> How do you say that correctly, Lily? Hermes. Oh, it's Hermes. Excuse it's me. It's a very expensive scarf. Mm-hmm. Very expensive scarf. They sit down. It's fucking weird. This is a fun little scene. Uh, it does, after so long of them being separate, it does feel very jarring and sudden to see them all together like this. They Tony breaks open the champagne. The people I love, nothing else matters. <laughs> AJ basically slams it down like a shot. Tony tells him to savor it. It's important in life. And before long, he's in front of the History Channel or watching a movie on the couch with ice cream. Amazing how quickly that goes back to normal. He's wanted it so bad. 
<laughs> I think it's it might be a WC field. Yes, maybe. yes, it is. That's, that's right. right. The, the, those those pulls, <laughs> those pulls go back to the first season, mm-hmm. right? Him watching the WC fields old yep. movies. Yeah. Yep. And Carmela's uh, given a look at him, sort of like, well, we're back. Back to your regularly scheduled programming as she's loading the dishwasher. And it's kind of amazing. Yeah. It's kind of amazing that after everything, you just go right back to it. And I think that's very relatable. Yeah, it's very realistic in a weird way. There is a weirdness in the air that's going to take time to, for them to get through. But, like, there I, is. It's, very, it's a very human moment. I, 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 you know, as extraordinary as these characters are and as volatile as the marriage can be between Tony and Carmela. I think they they like all of us. They they strive to recapture familiar rhythms always, right? And we do have that resonant moment with Carmela where she's listening to the W C Fields and sees eating dessert, and is we see that moment on her face like, oh, it's like it's like he never left, and that's kind of weirdly what we the viewer want too in a way. It's a weird satisfying scratch on an itch. It really is because we see yeah maybe it would be better if these two were apart, right? Weirdly, we're satisfied that they're back together. It's so bizarre. Mm. You know, I don't even know what uh, a good word would be to describe that, where I realize, like, moralistically, right, uh, on a good evil scale, on, like, a what's best for you personally scale, I'm like, yeah, they shouldn't be apart, they should be rehabilitated, she should be off doing her own thing, but, like, kind of watching them, like, oh, oh, good, they're back, everything's back, great. Great. Mm. As it was. Yep. Well, their time apart wasn't fun for us either. Those are rough episodes. Yeah. And so we kind of feel it with them. Yeah. And, you know, if, again, if they can't really be apart, they might as well be together. And that muscle memory is strong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, as is Tony bringing a gift. Um, yeah. Which Carmela says will go with a black coat, hmm. which could portend death. So. Oh, strap in, folks. Good catch. <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't catch that at all. We I get... also had no idea how to pronounce it. To me, it might as well have been... Uh, Hermes? Her, her, Hermes. Like the real Louis Vuitton. <laughs> <laughs> then this next scene. I don't need to hash out the story beat for beat, but this is the big interrogation scene. We all saw it unfold. It's largely just a retelling, uh, just a telling of the events and sequence after the feds. I really... All things considered, I don't like the Fed characters. I'm not rooting for the Fed characters. But their approach was on point as far as getting to the objective that they're getting to here. This felt real to me as the son of a cop. This idea of like, do you really think we have you here because we don't know what's in the bag? This is something cops love to do. Whether they know what's in the bag or not. They, they happen to know. But whether they know what's in the bag or not, you make... The criminal confess. My father told me about a, uh, this is just a personal story about my dad in the police force, but there was a guy who the cops knew had been raping women and they kept bringing him in, but they just never had enough proof to get an arrest on him. Kept bringing him in. He was a master through the interrogation. And then one day my dad's partner was like, so before we start this interview, uh, you should know that there's this amazing new technology that lets us lift fingerprints off of human skin. Is there anything you'd like to tell us? And he confessed. By the way, that technology, I don't think, is, is still in existence. <laughs> so it was just total bull. At least at the time, they didn't have it. Total bullshit. So the cops, the, the way their approach here was represent very, your hand. Yeah, right? it was yeah. very believable. 
we know the story. You just have to fill in the gaps for us. That kind of thing. If you, that's very. It felt very real to me the way they approached it. And she gives up this whole story about this guy Matouche, the drug dealer who was we were introduced to briefly back in season three. He was selling X, got beat up by Furio. Is that same guy Matouche got his jaw broken? Jackie Jr. fucked him over, <laughs> and he stabs a guy to death in the. Uh, back because he ripped them off sold them baby powder this flashback should not work no it really shouldn't i don't think like but it's great yeah um it yeah really I, works. I was fine with it and um and it's more <sighs> this really feels deliberate it's more like men using essentially adriana's universe as like a parking spot yeah and it ends up fucking her over yeah, that's the like. It's always it's almost always her trusting the wrong people. Always. Um, whereas the feds seem to, you know, make it about her being criminally complicit. But that's a that's a joke in this scenario. It's like, come on. Yeah. Um, and the feds uh, act like gangsters do. In this episode, they have leverage on somebody and they use it. That's what Tony would do with Vin McKazian or Doctor Freed. Um, use it to your advantage. Uh, to what end, I guess I still don't get because of their weird... They feel like a Kafka-esque bureaucratic nightmare come to life. Yeah. Um, if part of their goal was to actually get Adriana wired up to talk to Tony about what, no idea. Um, yes, that is confusing to me too. But but that's okay, fuck them anyway. Um, the gangsters well, kill Adriana. The feds got her killed for reasons that I still don't understand. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not really sure what is, like, the golden egg they're hoping to get. Well, Cubitoso does say, I want you wired up. When you get, We haven't gotten quite to this point yet, but he says, I want you wired up. I want Tony Soprano, on th- your boyfriend, too. He wants Chris wired up. He, the pitch here is you're bringing Chris into the loop. But they could have gotten Chris. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I just, I, I understand narratively why it's Adriana. I just, the tactics they use to squeeze her, I just don't know... Like, how they get what they want from her. What is Tony going to say to her, right? She's what to him, mm-hmm. you know? They're not going to get anything they want from her. And in the interrogation scene, I realize it's, it is a very realistic scene. You know, she's she doesn't lie once in this entire scene. She is very forthcoming with the truth. Their response to her tearful confessions of everything is to just yell at her more. Mm. Uh, I, I was confused as to what their aim was. It actually just seemed at one point that they were just being cruel to her and the cruelty was sort of the point. And once right. she decided she wasn't going to wear a wire, they were just... Maybe Christopher knows a good lawyer. You know, that kind uh, of thing. Right. Well, yeah. then fuck them for that. But, like, again, it's like, what do you want from this woman? Mm. You know? Uh, yes, of course I'm sympathetic to her, but I, I really don't get it. What are you going to get any of them to say? For the most part, even Christopher doesn't discuss business with her. Mm. I've given this a fair amount of thought because the FBI on this show really does, it fascinates me. And it fascinates our audience, too, because they, boy, do they let us know how they feel about it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've never seen really law enforcement depicted like this. I know yeah. what people think of overbroad laudatory stories about cops, derisively call it copaganda. Okay. And there's more gray depictions of cops where you see the good and bad famously Probably the best in that respect is The Shield and, of course, shows like The Wire. And there's stuff like the Keystone Cops where (laughs) 
law enforcement is goofy but lovable. These are the Keystone Cops without the charm. Mm. They're not good at this. They don't seem especially clever. There's no mission. The best that I can come up with in terms of trying to make sense of how they're going about this Adriana thing is like in The Wire what would be a statcom mentality. Like you're getting a certain amount of budget, money, manpower, equipment, and support, so you got to show results by saying this is what we're doing every month. So we have this asset and we're working them. We got X leverage on them and they were reluctant to cooperate, so we put pressure on them. That's what we report, so keep sending us the federal money and this machine can keep on humming. That's the best I can come up with because unless there's like a brilliant scheme to get Adriana into the inner circle, they got nothing. Yeah. And now they got less than nothing. They're really fucked. The best informant they have in terms of positioning is Ray Curdo, but Ray is cunning enough to kind of play their game along with them and just continually give them stupid shit forever. Mm. So he's kind of playing them in a way. She's not clever enough to do that. She gives them everything she has, but she still has nothing. Mm. At some point, they have to realize that. But then I think what Paul said is true. I think, yeah, I think you keep her in the loop, or sorry, you keep her uh, shackled because you have to. Because you have to have informants because you have to justify your budget even if they're not giving you anything. I guess that's part of it too. Yeah. Well, those are all fair points. Well, I was just going to say, like, let's think about our viewers who have complained about us and the FBI. And so, like, let's let's call a spade a spade. She obstructed evidence, right? Or whatever they're called. She has broken the law. Yeah. We acknowledge that. Yeah. She knew she was breaking the law. She knew that was a problem. Now, we could have an argument about does she, what does she... You know, how was she raised? You're raised to cover that stuff up, of course, right? She still broke the law. She did something wrong. She somewhere knew that that was a wrong thing to do, but you don't call cops either. So let's 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 say this. And I I feel pretty confident saying this. Had she gone immediately to the cops with this, had she left the crazy horse that night and immediately went there? She's in the same fucking position. They would try, even though she had done the right thing, they would try to leverage that and scare her with it to get the same result. Right. Yeah, there's no winning here. Right. Her. Yeah. yeah. I just felt that that was worth no, no, I bringing up. 100%. 100%. Because she's we're going to get the angry letters. She's oh, yeah. done wrong. She's done wrong. But even if you believe that. By angry, we mean. You know, fun and engaging. And but even that. if you think this is a worthwhile use of the FBI's time, resources, and manpower, and even if you believe that this was a smart way to go about the dismantling the North Jersey mob, I still have to feel bad for her, especially in the moment when she's talking about this guy, Matouche, and you can see them all looking at each other in post-9-11 America. Mm-hmm. She's describing this very religious guy from, quote, somewhere in the Middle East, Pakistan, sending money to his brother who runs a prep school for young boys, and they're all looking at each other like, what the fuck? Uh, and she just is like, I, th- I was very inspired by that. Like, She has no fucking judge of who in this world is good or bad. or yeah. she just It's just not something she has in it. She, she just doesn't have that in her. And... Her that that's her that's her that's her true sin. Not not dealing cocaine with Chris. <laughs> I kind of like Agent Harris. He's the only redeemable. He, he has emerged to me as someone who doesn't know the later seasons super well as a real person mm-hmm. who's on the FBI. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 
they kind of make them all just kind of horrible people, but he has, like, intelligence and compassion on his face, and the actor doesn't have a ton of lines, so really it's just his face you're looking at, and you're like, okay, okay, there's someone who kind of has some sense of this. I don't know. Well, he's the one that talks to the Soprano. He's the one who talks to he them. Goes, he goes, goes to, to Satchel House, house and you know, and he gets sandwiches, so, like, he yeah. has... A relationship with them. Is it a normal or anything? Yeah, but they have a relationship. Yeah. He knows this is he knows this is gonna hurt. Right. You're looking down the barrel of twenty five years. I want Tony Soprano on tape. I want you wired up, your boyfriend too. I'm not doing it, then you're out of options. Frank Cubitoso really losing it here, screaming at her. She refuses. I want to talk to my lawyer. I don't have one. Maybe Christopher knows a good lawyer. That's a real shit head thing to say <laughs> that's that's it we cut to a very relaxing domestic scene where carmela's going through tony's stuff and we're making jokes about her weak wrist and how tony can help <laughs> her strengthen that up and they're kissing and again a home is being made while another is being unmade chris continues the pattern drinking in every scene pulling the vodka out of the free freezer calling her it's where you been 10 seconds long yeah Eight hours, establishing that she's been there at least overnight at this point. The scene in the bathroom, San Severino softens up a little bit. This is another tactic the cops do. They'll be really hard on you one minute, then it's like, look, we're, I'm trying to help you. you got your whole life ahead of you. Living like this is what's costing you your insides. You still have your health. This is the second time her... You know, health, the idea of health has been thrown at her. Says that she left four messages with the public defender. Uh, I don't know that that's true. Mm. Uh, I don't, I don't, I can't imagine the missing scenes in which they actually call the same public defender four times. Yeah, yeah. I imagine they left a message. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, so they're backed up. I don't think they're trying super hard to get her a lawyer. Yeah, they're backed up. Sip coffee. This is another thing they do. They hold you as long as they're legally allowed to without pressing charges. I, yeah, I think some of the time crunches they they just made up. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Well, they're, make, make, they're making quite a lot of this up. We'll find out later that uh, the murders of murder. can take over the Long Branch, Long Branch PD's operations anytime he wants. He simply chooses not to. Yeah. Yeah, it's all arbitrary. School, trying, they're, they're trying to put as much pressure on her as possible. Murder doesn't have a statute of limitations. They could let her go and pull her in 10 fucking years from now on this thing if they really wanted to prosecute an assisted murder. But they're trying to pressure her. They go out for a cigarette. You get a feeling that she's trying to go a more soft route with Adriana after she's locked herself in the bathroom. Tony's smoking a cigar, reflecting back on Tony B. Then... San Severino comes into the office with Harris and, and Cubitoso and says that she thinks she can get Christopher problems with Tony. He hates him, apparently. And uh, <laughs> Harris says, CI-12 confirmed it. I wrote, who is CI-12? It's got to be Ray, right? It's got to be Ray Curl. <laughs> this guy's been just low-key snitching for years. Loves it. Uh, but never anything significant. Just always the bullshit. Right, yeah, yeah. Right. And then submits his receipts. Yep. Says that, you know, I was thinking immunity and relocation for the two of them. He has interest in screenwriting. <laughs> Frank with the alcohol put a call into Sam Goldwyn. <laughs> but that's real. I think he's really, yeah. <laughs> you think he's going to actually, oh, I, mean, I think I so. Oh, I heard that earnestly, too. I heard that earnestly. <laughs> I guess he could if he wanted to. Uh, but she has until 9 a.m. Monday, and because she's not wearing a wire, 
They can't keep her surveilled or off her protection. We get a call. Johnny won. He's the boss. Jimmy Patriel gives a call. Tony, uh, that, that tennis match between those guys, my guy won, and nobody got hurt. Carmine just, he finally, they must have worked something out. Some people are better at being number twos. I love Paulie's reaction. It was all friendly with John throughout all of season four. Talking about a little car. He's a fucking pussy. I knew he came. He's a fucking pussy, that kid. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they're looking down the barrel. I like Tony's line. At times, it would have been great to have John as boss. Now, it's a different world, different Johnny. And then we get the the bomb scene here. This is this is this is the scene that's been building for the scene. Yeah, years. This is I think obviously the whole performance, but this is to me is the scene and the scene that fought the few scenes that follow that won them the Emmys here. She starts breaking the news. That fucking Bobby DeMarco, no, Christopher, listen, I gotta get through this. She tells him everything. Danielle, FBI agent. He sits down in that chair. This fascinating shot we get where she's just rambling nervously off camera and we're pushing in on Chris and we're seeing him process this and his brain is just completely short-circuiting. Michael Perioli just crushes this moment. You can see, like, lights firing behind his eyes. Yeah. Like, it's a really good close-up. Yeah. He has technically, I think, been more violent to her, but this is... You, you, you're watching this the first time. You this Well, is, I mean, he almost kills her now. Right, yeah. Uh, he... Punches her square in the head. He's maybe hurt her longer. Yeah, yeah, I guess. But yeah, he's she's close to. I mean, it's like yeah, we're like two seconds away from she's dead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And it's intense. It's tough to watch. He's hurting, but he's also he's feeling betrayed. He's yelling, "How could you do this to us? I loved you." Then at the absolute last possible second, right when another few moments of squeezing would have put her lights out, he backs off, crumples next to her, and the two of them just crumple and sob in a heap together. Chris shouts, what are we going to do? And now they're both in it. Now they're both in this absolutely dreadful situation. We leave this on a very tense note, not knowing how it's going to resolve to get to the Tony B thing, which, as you said, is fascinating because this shit's all very good and very important, but it's also the C-plot of the episode. you got to be wondering in the back of your head where all the Chris and Adriana stuff's going, but we also want to hear what's happening with Tony B. He calls. He finally actually speaks with Tony. Talks about leaving you with a real pile of shit in your lap. Look after my boys. I like Tony, sure. Anything else I can do for you? <laughs> uh, and then Tony um, responds in part to, in a way, this is a revenge, but also sort of a leveling of the playing field. And, and he is finally in a situation where he doesn't feel bad about giving Tony B the truth of, of what happened. And it's interesting. He confesses. And as bad a spot as Tony is in, you can see Tony B's whole essence just sink when tony breaks this news to him yeah so anyway we're even i thought it was a little of the anyway we're even and a little of the this may be the last time we speak yeah you know so yeah this might be the only chance i have to tell you this yeah the table's been cleared right and our business is settled don't come around here take care of yourself and that's it as far as 
I think both of them are concerned. This is, might be the last time they, they do ever speak. I think that's that's right on the money. And as soon as they hang up, Tony is calling Gerard. Roy's Kinderhook. I know where it is. In case Kinderhook doesn't ring a bell with the audience, he immediately calls Uncle Pat. Confirms. It's good to see Uncle Pat. I like this actor. I wish we got a few more minutes with him, but it's a packed episode. Uh, there's been a problem at the at the farm. They can't sell it. Some environmental permit that didn't go through, so it's just houses just sitting there empty. There's Tony B. Which is great, because that could effectively tie up that loose end. Mm-hmm. If Tony gave him up. Yeah. And we see how and why he doesn't in this episode, and that's going to lead us to the next one. Yes. So it's great that it leaves it dangling. Absolutely. Yeah. Cut to this scene, which is uh, monumental in the show for me, because this is the last scene they have together, Chris and Adriana. This is the last scene. I wonder if they knew when they shot it that this is the last scene they were going to have. It's really sad, but... She, they're talking about, uh, again, they can't help but drop in the comedy, in my opinion, with the, uh, (laughs) I write my memoirs, finally. Like, (laughs) we get a fireplace like you like. This is, she's back in fantasy land. She's, she she still thinks that there's some way out of this. And I did too. You, you, you know, Chris was in the worst situation with Tony that he could be. She had the best chance she could have maybe had. To get Chris to flip here. I think you're exactly right. Yeah. But it was the best chance. It just wasn't a sell yeah. at the end. And he gets up to go leave. He's got this is a lot to process. He's going to have to leave the life for good. Don't leave. You want... And she says this line, which is another death... Ominous death symbol in this show. You want some eggs? <laughs> Not on The no. Sopranos, you don't. <laughs> no, don't smoke. Next, you're going to want a vodka. It's sweet. It's sad to see her look so desperate like that, but he calms her down. He's just going to go out, get some air. He'll be back soon. Well, he says he's going to go out and get cigarettes. Get cigarettes. Right, which is like American male coded (laughs) for I'm not coming back. back. Yeah. Right. I think he does in that moment think he is coming back. Sure. But we have to read it two ways. Mm -hmm. Right. Because that is the legend of the American male. Yeah. There's that hmm, mid-20th century American male. I went out for cigarettes and never came home to my family. <laughs> right, there's That's part of it. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, the mood at this point in the episode is just the sickly, like, oh, what is going to happen? It's, it's, you just don't, it, it could fall either way. It's, it's very well shot, very well done. The, the way the tension is held in the air. Adriana calls San Severino. He wants to do it, but he needs time. That's not what we discussed. You have him serious, Adriana. You have him until 1 o'clock. If I push him, he won't want to do it. Okay. Hangs up. And we cut to this scene. This scene is so good in its simplicity and what they were able to get across in, again, Paul, 15 seconds of action. Chris is lovingly running his finger across his Hummer, which we know cost him $50,000. He lectured Tony B. about it two episodes ago when he put his foot up on it. Loves this thing. Looking at it like, fuck, I guess this is done. And then he looks up at a family coming out of the <laughs> gas station. And it's just, it. this is Joe America with his wife and his, his rambunctious kids. And he... His mullet. His mullet. <laughs> yeah. 
the mullet, he kind of looks like Chris. They found a guy who looks like an alternate, like, oh, maybe this could be... Like, Chris saw his future self here. With, like, something zapped out of him. Yeah, just, like, just, like, just there's yeah. no energy, there's no, no spirit, there's no pep. He just, he's getting in the car, looking like he's dreading going wherever he's going with his family. The, it's a beat-up station wagon with a burlap bag on the top. It's just real broken down. Perfectly contrasting the enormous, beautiful Hummer that Chris drives that he has alone to himself there, which he would not be able to afford had he not been in this lifestyle. Yeah, And he sees his... He sees that, he sees his life there. He sees his future in that moment. He sees, this is going to be me, but in somewhere I like a lot less than Jersey. And that's the last we see of him for a little bit. Well, hey, let's go back to those uh, Born to Run lyrics for a second, right? Okay. The highway's crowded. Please correct me if I'm paraphrasing. We don't want to get this wrong. The highway's crowded with broken heroes on a last chance power drive, right? Pretty famous lyrics, Born to Run's a very famous song. So we have the title track there, okay, Born to Run. Born to Run meaning born to not stay in one place, right? Born to kind of keep moving, to be free, in other words, right? Uh, I think Chris sees uh, staying with Adriana and starting a new life somewhere else, and he sees this poor sucker, <laughs> sucker's the word he would use, who's stuck to this family and this station wagon. He's, he's not free anymore. But he is... Chris, in this moment, is he one of the? Is he is he a broken hero on a last chance power drive? Right? Mm. Is this in fact his last chance power drive? I think it is. That's kind of a cute joke in the episode, and yes, because Stevie Van Zant is there in the scene where he says it. But I think they kind of mean the line sort of unironically, mm. right? Chris is a broken hero on a last chance power drive when he goes out for the cigarettes and does not come home in this. Not that and what he's doing is noble, but it's honest to himself in that he is, in this way, a runaway, right? Mm. He's going to run away from having a wife. He's going to run away from having a children. He's going to run away from his love because he's going to be free. He's going to be himself. It is enormously, enormously selfish, right? But it is true to him as the made man, as the guy who's going to live this life, right? And he sees the nobility in that. He understands that's what has to be done, but... Um, it's sad in the same way that that lyric is oddly sad in a song that is otherwise pretty, if not happy, then upbeat. But that lyric has always bothered me because that is a little jarring in that song. Mm -hmm. And it's jarring here. Fuck you. That's beautiful. <laughs> well said, Jordan. One set per episode, Jordan actually drops my jaw when we're doing this. It's, it's, it's just fascinating. Silly. <laughs> Then we get the call, and as we said earlier, Tony is an extraordinarily adept actor, as we find out. But well, I admit, watching this the first time, I'm in. I'm, I'm buying the story, because the alternative is unthinkable until we see it unfold. I bought it. Yeah. I was like, yeah, Chris tried to kill himself. That makes perfect sense. That's what yeah. he would do. Look he what he was just looking at. Yeah. It's well, possible it, even in the framework of Adriana's life just continuing to spit out into utter misery. Yeah. Like, yeah, the, he, your boyfriend didn't know what to do, so he took some pills. Yeah. And, like, passed out and might have died. Like, so, yeah, of course that's what happened. Tony brings up he's been drinking, so he's fighting that heroin urge again. It's all plausible, especially since Chris could have killed her and didn't. Couldn't bring himself to do it. So it's believable for a moment here in the mind of the audience that Chris would both not want to run and uh, would both not want to go with Adriana out into the wild blue, 
uh, but also wouldn't want to kill her either, so this is a way out. Tony's also a master manipulator, because he knocks Adriana off-center in the same phone call with, hey, don't interrogate the suicide so much. Do you know of any reason mm. that he would want to do this, right? Because yeah. then she has to scramble to cover up the FBI thing. She's not really thinking too much about his choice of words or his tone of voice, which right. are impeccable anyway. Right. Tony's a little, you know, he's very good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, Syl's going to come pick you up. So she packs a bag, gets in the car, and we get this. What a great way to do this from a storytelling perspective. It has to be Syl. Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, yes, the Syl thing, but I, I was I was, I was, also talking about just the shot of oh, her. Oh, I'm sorry, yes. The shot of her driving down the highway, uh, music's blasting, red, very visible and noticeable red suitcase on the seat next to her. Yeah, of course. Driving herself and her car that we know is her car down the highway, getting out, just going. And for a second, you also buy that, too. That's a, that's a plausible. And then they cut Which is what the, the gangsters will sell. Right. That's what happened. You cut to the car with Silvio, and the music is coming through the stereo, which is such a cool touch that it was being piped in through the audio feed, and then it becomes, a, when we snap into reality, it becomes a practical sound effect. Yeah. You fucking love that choice. That's an absolutely stellar way to do that, and it's gut-wrenching, because this is when the more adept viewers are going to start piecing together what's happening. But yeah, it had to be, as we discussed earlier, it had to be Silvio. It has to be. Well, because of all the guys he would trust to do this, Polly's a hammer. You don't send the hammer. You send the scalpel, right? Mm -hmm. You have to do more finesse work here, right? It has to be somebody she will get into the car with, no problem. She'll be focused on everything else. He's uh, avuncular. He's jolly, right? He can be smooth when he wants to be smooth. You know, it's it's sad. Yeah. <laughs> Even to the point where he's giving her words of encouragement in the car ride. What are you crying? He's going to... Well, and this is also very sickly ominous. He's going to be fine. As if to say, he'll be all right. He's very resilient. Yeah. What he's going to have to get over. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Dark words, dark scene. Here, can you imagine oh, the, the, the kind of person who can say that to her on the way to kill her? It's just... Well, this is... This is you Sylvia, said it. This is Silvio the Pimp. Right. Right, also. Oh, yeah. Right. That's right. always what's under there. Correct. He remember when he shocked he shocked us all when he was beating up Tracy in yeah. season three, oh, yeah. and it was like, oh, that's who's under there. Yeah, right. you never want to forget, and he's the guy who, on the way to kill her, says that. Mm -hmm. So, and somewhere's laughing, I'm sure inside. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yep. Because she's a rat. Mm-hmm. He's gonna be fine. Strong kid, tough, resilient. Keep him for a few days, observation tests, doing all the small talk. She's crying, looking off into the trees. We're shown the trees. Uh, I think we're meant to realize it a little bit before she does. When does she realize it? Does she truly not know until the moment they he stops and gets out? I think it makes it worse. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I don't think she realizes till the last moment. I think... I think every viewer realizes it before her. Her lapse yes. of judgment about people around her carries her up until her very last moment. It's I hate really... to say it, I don't think she knows until he like shuts the car. Right. <laughs> like, right, like the very last moment, like yeah. that long. But it's rough. The, let's talk real quick about the choice to do it off camera. Because I think on one hand it provides the character a dignity that she was not afforded in her life. <laughs> But at the same time, it allowed for, I'm sure there were, not regret, but there had to have been moments after this where fans theorized that she survived 
because it was done off camera or Silvio or she ran away or Silvio let her go or some shit like that. There was always this conspiracy theory in the months and years after that she had survived. Uh, nah. What what what's so what's your what are your thoughts on the choice to do it off camera? I I like I like it for reasons we'll talk about when we get to the last scene, but for me, the simplest explanation seems to be right. It's uh, David Chase doing us a kindness, mm. right? We love her. We yeah. don't want to see her shot on camera, yeah. right? There's some things we don't need to see. Why do we need to see that? We know what happened. It's okay. Yeah, it does provide that kind of dignity or uh, protecting the audience from it. What's cruel about it, though, too, I think, is that, and we'll get this with the imagery at the end, paralleling it is that she's just meant to be forgotten. Mm. So yeah. we'll pan the camera away and it, it, it fizzles into the air. Yep. Oh, that hurts. Yeah. You're right. It's just, it hurts. Chris packs the same red bag we saw in her fantasy with a bag full of plausible stuff she would take on the road with her, throws it off into the Meadowlands, and then we find out why the show, why the episode is titled what it is. He drives to the parking lot at Newark Airport. This is long-term parking only. Repeating over and over the message, uh, and that car is going to be there for a long, long, long time. Chris gets out. I love the long shot they do of just panning back on what a, you know, you, it just makes you wonder not just about, just just really lets the tragedy of what just happened sink in, but it also gives you the sense of wonder about what other tragedies and mysteries are in many of the cars in this parking lot. It's it's a very compelling and interesting moment there. And that's it. That's it for Adriana. Any final thoughts on this sequence before we move on? Oh, just it's just very sad. I think you hope uh, in vain that uh, the scene will go another way, uh, but it just grinds on. I mean, you know. Yep. That's it. Uh, there's a, a horrible moment where after she's realized what's about to happen to her, uh, Silvio turns into, you could either call it Monster Silvio, or you could call it the, call it the man who he really is, right? Where he, like, I, I don't know, he, like, drags her out of the car, and she, like, crawls away on her knees. Like, it's, like, it's especially nasty. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, calls her a cunt. Calls her a cunt, right? Um, it being on the hands and knees reminded me of Irregular Around the Margins. Mm. Um, remember the posture thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. On her knees. Right, right, right. Um, okay. It was really brutal. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it just feels so in- inhuman, right, to be uh, called that in your last moment and to crawl away on your hands and knees, right, not even to run, hmm. you know. Uh, yeah, it's tough, you know. Yep. We get this scene between Tony and Johnny. They hug. They're right by, I think you're right, you were right, Jordan, it is the GW. Maybe. I, I don't think I know my bridge as well enough to know the shot. I stayed quiet. I'm pretty sure it's the George Washington yeah. bridge. Okay. I'm well, that would make sure sense to me just because I like it symbolically as yeah. being the bridge from Jersey to New York. It's low-hanging right. fruit. That has to be it. Yeah. Johnny says, it's the last time we'll meet like this. It's undignified. Right, which I took to be, if that is the GW, a greater insult. Right. I'm not meeting you on the Jersey side of the GW bridge. Fuck you. You come to me now. Yeah. I'm the boss of a five families family. You're going to come see me. Right. Exactly. Got the word on my cousin. I know where he is. And? And Tony 
for whatever led to this moment, he seems ready to give him up, but he just wants you know, listen, I, I know this has to be done, but, uh, you know, let me, let me handle it. I want your word that it'll be quick. Oh, yeah, I want, that's it. I want your word that it'll be quick. I'm not going to lie. Phil's going to do it. He's going to do it his way. Tony reminds him, you're the fucking boss, John. I want your promise. It'll be quick. You're the fucking boss, John. You can do whatever you want. I choose not to then. And that's that. Tony goes off and thinks. I love this shot of John. When he when Tony looks back at John, Tony's thinking about what Johnny just suggested, that Phil's going to go there and it's not going to, it's going to be a prolonged uh, incident of death and torture. And... Johnny's just like kind of just smoking, looking very smug, spitting out a piece of of fingernail. (laughs) Anything else? You know what? Go fuck yourself. (laughs) He's my fucking cousin. I love Tony's smile. On one hand, uh, there's a part of me that's like, yeah, go Jersey. But the other part of me that's like, oh, you're fucked. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I thought it was a a terrible resolution. I was like, oh, it's not appropriate at all. Well, but what do you, th- you know, he knows what, what's coming. Uh, yeah, I don't know. He doesn't Great little to... shot of Johnny Sack, like, picking the tobacco off his tongue. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, right, you yeah, think yeah, you're yeah. Mr. Cool? You still have to pick the fucking tobacco flex off your tongue, right, <laughs> <laughs> He's my fucking cousin, and then he leaves Johnny standing there. That's where we're going to leave that this episode. So the that stuff's not going away anytime soon. We're going to come back to that probably next episode. We're getting into the final beats here. Chris obviously stoned watching, what, Three Amigos? Yes. Yeah. Some funny shit. This is a devastating scene uh, in its simplicity. Chris says, what's wrong with you? I snored a little H. I know. I just couldn't stand the pain. And Tony slaps him and beats the shit out of him. You think you're alone in this? He screams at him. Last touchdown on the FBI. She really could have fled. She could be in China by now. Who has their head up their ass now, San Severino? Yeah. Um, so stupid. Uh, so cynical about everything else. Um, <laughs> not an attractive quality, but I think a form of self-protection. To accept what has clearly happened here, which is something very bad, accepts her tacit involvement in mm. getting her killed. Correct. San Severino would rather envision that Adriana became... Carmen San Diego overnight. <laughs> it's like in Hong Kong running a bar with a bunch of North Jersey's money. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But that's it. She has to accept that reality and as it comes to they have to move on. The FBI has to keep this thing going and what about the murder? There's still the terror possibility take it over from Long Branch. So that's that's how they're going to Show the proof on the receipts, you know, for yeah. their funding. Like, oh, well, we, we have an active terror investigation. Mm-hmm. The bureaucratic machine rolling on. That's it. Interesting mirror shot. And this last this is the last scene of the episode where Tony and Carmela are scoping out this property for the spec house. And they really fuck with you. You hear something moving in a pot in leaves. You get a sky with some birds that pans back down to the ground opposite the way it did in the Adriana scene. And you hear movement through the leaves. Oh my God, is she crawling? Or is, what happened? Is she a lot? Nope, it's Tony and Carmela and they're checking out the spec house property. Paul alluded to it earlier. You know, the price, what's the cost? And uh, that's really why they chose to do it this way. They want you thinking about what just happened. 
as Tony and Carmel are sitting in this beautiful locale and this place they're going to build a home. But don't forget what all of that that home is built on. The mm-hmm. misery and the death and the betrayal and the broken dreams and broken families. Yeah, it's powerful and sad and, and uh, but beautiful in a kind of poetic way, as you just said, yeah. what are you building this house on? Because this ground that they're looking at is literally where they're going to lay the foundation. Mm-hmm for this spec house and what is the foundation of their home what's the foundation of their conception of family and all this stuff it all comes together it's just one reason but that might be why people really come back to this episode because it brought these questions about the life and the uh the compromises that we make to the forefront yeah that's well said you know so often you know the hits and tits crowd, as you say, you know, ah, they offed Ralphie. Oh my God, Richie April. But this one hit close to home for all of us. And I think it made it really real of exactly what's happening. And there, there aren't a ton of moments in this show that do that. We see it with Tracy. We see it here, right? It's, it's it they they gotta they got you we said this in university they gotta remind you who we're dealing with mm. it's artfully told it's beautifully constructed it's quick it's snappy it doesn't waste a second it drives home the consequence and the again in the midst of murder betrayal and absolute heartache there's mundane things happening there's joking about hand jobs and closets and going on with business ventures and eating ice cream in front of the movies it's this is the beauty this is everything i love about this show in one any any final thoughts from you guys on this uh before we uh wrap up uh we titled this episode another suitcase uh this was meant of course to reference finn detrolio's suitcase in unidentified black males when he feels threatened in his situation with Vito, um his instinct is to pack a suitcase and get the fuck out <laughs> right of course, Meadow gets upset, and he ends up engaged rather than escaped from his situation. Oh, did they argue about that suitcase? <laughs> I, I recall. I seem to recall. <laughs> uh, in this episode, Adriana has a fantasy of packing the red suitcase and perhaps escaping from this as well, as well and, and driving away in her car. But of course, it is just a fantasy, and we see that that suitcase ends up thrown somewhere vaguely out into the Meadowlands. And her car is placed in long-term parking. We do briefly glimpse these ordinary people. I include Adriana. I include Finn. And they sense the danger. It overwhelms them at some point, and they have the correct urge to get away. But because of the trap that is set by circumstances, they can't seem to navigate a successful escape. Ultimately, the mobsters kill Adriana. Um, The FBI helps to set that trap, and she's been doomed for a long time. There was really no way for her to escape, I suppose, really, at any point. Which makes her story especially sad, because, you know, she's a particularly guileless character. She seems to represent a certain degree of innocence for us, and the way that the show brutalizes it, and the way that brutalization comes to a head in this episode, is so painful to watch. It's also uh, deeply, deeply resonant. Uh, And it also lets you know, under no uncertain terms, as I said in the beginning of this episode, there is great evil that takes place here. And we may like these people that transact in it, but it it is evil, Hmm. ultimately. As for Christopher, um, his great fear is the regularness of life, right? 
and ultimately he chooses this life that he imagines for himself, this life that is exciting, over the life that he fears is regular. And it just breaks my heart that I think she would have been content to live a regular life with him. Mm. Right? And, you know, to paraphrase everything everywhere all at once, right? She could have just done laundry and taxes with him and been happy. But he didn't love her like that. Jordan took the words right out of my mouth. That was precisely what I was going to say. So. <laughs> Anything else? All right. I agree, guys. Thank you very much for a great discussion about long-term parking. It's a season great. I have a feeling it's going to end up on a couple top three lists when we're all said and done in our retrospective. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> but it's been a hell of a season. I can't... Uh, it's astonishing that there's still more to go. Season five is a triumph, man. This is just great storytelling. Exciting top to bottom. And we're going to come back with the finale. All due respect. The thing you say to somebody right before you tell them something they don't want to hear. <laughs> And uh, hopefully you want to hear our breakdown of it. I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Lily D'Amato. I'm Paul Mantini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. And we will see you next time for all due respect. I got myself a gun.